0: We were with a client the other day that said it, you know, listen, I do whatever you tell me to do. I trust you implicitly. Just tell me what price to put it on at, and I will do that. I will follow your guidance.
1: Welcome to the John and Jonathan Sell NYC podcast, where experienced expert New York City real estate brokers, John Gustaska and Jonathan Conlon, break down what's happening in the market, what you need to know, whether you're a buyer, seller, or agent, and their insight into the future with a little bit of fun along the way. In this week's episode, John and Jonathan discuss the many roles that real estate professionals play here in New York City. It's much more than just opening doors and collecting a check. Friend, trusted advisor and therapist are just a few of the roles they play each and every day. Make sure you stick around until the end. There's a story about a transaction early in their partnership that you won't wanna miss. Buying and selling property in this climate is complicated, which is exactly why having expert real estate brokers like John and Jonathan on your team is so valuable.
0: Hello everybody, welcome back to- Jonathan And sell NYC podcast number four. Uh, Hi, John. You Hi, doing? Jonathan.
2: You're looking very tall so today.
0: Huh? It's been so long since we've chatted. So long. Uh, another week has passed. We are getting... Deep week deep. number four. We wanted to talk about uh, what's going on, how the week went, what we're seeing this week, and then uh, sort of born out of some things that's happened this week, we decided to talk about our roles as real estate agents, what we see our roles as, what our roles are on paper. So we'll, we'll get into that. But I first and foremost wanted to say, I uh, wanted to ask you what, what happened this week? What's new? What's uh, anything You're asking me
2: or are you asking the, 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 the viewers?
0: Well, the viewers can't respond to me. I
2: know, huge. we don't have a talent, we don't have somebody uh, typing in. I would say that it was extremely hectic we are listing more properties, I think in a short amount of time than we've ever listed. Mm -hmm. At least that's my perception of it. And these are now sales listings and rental listings at all different price points. I would say, not all maybe.
0: A lot um, of different price points. A lot of different
2: price points. big range. The buyers who I'm actively working with, I have one contract which is getting signed and one buyer who became a renter changed their minds. They're not sure what they want to do. And then I have buyers who have not even seen walk through an apartment because the building will not allow them to see the apartment and they've made uh, an offer on the apartment. So everything is, in my opinion, uh, taking much longer. There is anxiety and apprehension throughout the marketplace, whether a seller or a buyer then we have a lot of different people wanting to list, whether are are sellers who are not willing to sell the apartments at these prices or perceived lower prices, and then, then there are people who, for whatever their reasons are, they, they find the need to either move up, they want to move out of the city, they want to move within the city, and then also people who just don't wanna sell the apartments, they wanna rent them. So. We have lots of different moving pieces. And um, so it's, it, it makes for a really, uh, a, an adventure. How's that? A real estate <laughs> adventure. adventure. How about yourself?
0: Adventure of grand proportions. How was, how was your week? Honestly, I can't believe it's Friday again. Um, uh, the weeks okay. have just, they, they've been flying by. Because we're, you know, we're so busy, in, in one regard, I feel like all I do is, I'm on the phone for 12 hours a day, every day, and then it's the weekend, and then it goes to six hours a day. Now, um, <laughs> no, I just feel like uh, time's going by, by very quickly uh, on the downside, on the negative side, I would say uh, I'm not pleased with the number of showings we're having on listings, I'm not ple- in-person showing. On the plus side, we talked about this last week. Is hopefully that means people are being responsible and they're not just running out there to see properties. Uh, slow recovery is better than us stopping, going back to a full shutdown for in, in however long, and then trying to start it up again. So
2: that's a very good point that you make. By the way, that's something that I have to remind myself of because I'm wanting it to be. I want. I'm wanting. I'm frustrating myself because I'm saying, well, if nobody's calling. Uh, you know, uh, the the people who are there are calls. There are calls on discounted properties, and there are calls on uh, the rentals. Some of the rentals. Yep. Some and of there the are rentals. Calls on the property with outdoor space.
0: Yes. Part we are, and we're seeing things come together. You know, we did have uh, the instance this week of. Um, actually two bids on the same property which is still getting finalized and such but uh you know on a property that we frankly if any of them were that was going to happen on i i'm i'm it makes sense that it was on the property that it was on there is you have a, a couple different offers in you've got accepted offers we've i've got a couple offers in different price points the serious people are out there. Um, there's just, I would say, based because we do have a lot of we have a lot of real estate on the market and in, in a lot of different categories, uh, in the sales side, in the rental side. And <clears throat> so it's it's part of our busyness and we're seeing things come together, is that we do our sheer volume that we're on right now, no doubt. But things are actually happening and we have to we have to stay focused on that you know it's we're focusing on the buyers that are realistic buyers that are in this market and it's not our fault if we can't find a seller that that has a property that agrees that the market is in a big state of flux right now and a lot of uncertainty which does equate to typically flexibility on pricing i have to be we have to be thankful for what we have Um, absolutely and I think we're 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 doing everything that we can to try to push the ball down the field, and on everything that we're working on, and and that's all we can do. You know, we constantly say we're very we're we're not busy. We're blessed, and we are blessed to have the number of clients trusting in us to uh, to carry that ball down the field for them. We thank them for their confidence, obviously, and all we can do is just keep going. Um, I'm happy that we have some movement on some things. Just ask my ten-year-old; she'll tell me every day about how much I'm working because now <laughs> she sees me working, and she's like, "I'm like, what do you think I do all day when I leave you and drop you off at school at eight o'clock, and then you know, get home at seven o'clock at night? Where do you think I go?" <laughs> you know,
2: one so. thing. One thing that you did you did point out is that we um, have a lot of moving pieces. And we're, we're not, we have a lot of different problems that we're, we're working through. And that actually is a good thing because we've got a problem to work on. Yeah. We have an opportunity to resolve the problem. If we didn't have the problem, there would not be the transaction associated with it. Yeah. There are a lot of brokers who would say, what are you complaining about? You're busy. I don't have the transaction getting a sense of perspective. So with that, I'd say it was another week in Manhattan real estate. What about you? Highs, lows, wins, losses. And the most important thing is like, we're like ever ready batteries. We just keep on going.
0: Well, you and I, and this is part of the reason why our partnership works is you and I are never at a loss for keeping ourselves busy. (laughs) So if it's if it's not one thing, we'll find something else to do. And, uh, you know, that's, that's our motto, it seems, is always like, you know what? We just keep going. We just keep going. Yeah. Um, we are not, uh, in many cases, um, It is things are out of our control. You know, we can only control what's in our, in our purview, which leads us to the topic today, which, what is our...
1: So what is the role of an agent? Do they just open doors, complete paperwork, and collect a commission? No. There's so much more to being a great broker than meets the eye. In this next segment, John and Jonathan will cover the endless roles and responsibilities to fill. Whether that's from a financial perspective, counseling a client through a difficult deal, or actually listening to what a client has to say, John and Jonathan consistently go the extra mile, which is one of the biggest reasons they've had so much success.
2: Came up with the topic. I'm going to tell the audience, and I love
0: it when you give me credit.
2: Jonathan Jonathan came up with the topic of what is our role as a real estate broker when we work with buyers and with sellers. And I I think that a, a naive mind thinks that we, as real estate brokers, open doors and we make big commissions. And I think that that's the farthest thing from what we do on a daily basis. And so, with that, I'd like
0: to um, side note, we are really good at opening doors too. I don't know how many times I've gone to an apartment with a client that uh, like I was just that one the other day with an executor of an estate and he's trying the key and trying the key. And he can't figure it out. It's like people expect us to be really good with keys, I, which I just find funny.
2: Do you think that I'm good with keys? Not great. No. Although I will tell you this when I'm f- frustrated with the key and I can't get it in whatever it works in reverse if I'm the buyer's agent and the broker is having trouble with the keys almost always I could p- watch them frustrating themselves and I'll say allow me to try you and me- it yeah. always opens it always opens why is that and that's happened to me before I'm like sweating bullets trying to get the key in the lock going okay well oh it's really warm out isn't it today and I'm I doing mean, this, and then they nice say, oh, maybe, "Can I help it?" And then I've I had know it's key. I know it's this in the lock, and they turn it. They said, "There you go." Be like. So if I were to say to you, Jonathan, what would you say is your role as a real estate broker in working with a seller? We'll talk about seller
0: first. It, many of the roles obviously carry over both buyer and seller, any client that we're working with. Um But the seller in specific, A um, is always to remind them what the process is. That's same for the buyer, right? It, it's such an involved process here that, uh, you know, some, many times we're talking to people that have haven't gone through the process for 10 or 15 years. Well, you forget. And things have changed over the last 10 or 15 years. Um, some wide, little changes. It's building specific, of course, but generally speaking, just being that guide, that educator to say, okay, this is what the process is. This is about how long things are gonna take. This is what we hope. So that's one thing as an educator, which we'll touch on in a number of different respects, but the educator in, okay, what's the process? Um, Two, I would say, again, on both sides of the fence, buyer or seller would be a objective, Um, an objective advisor. One of the biggest roles that I see uh, that we fit into, I will always talk to my clients about, we are here to suck the emotion out of any transaction, out of any dealing. Whether we're representing the seller or the buyer, we have to be objective. We have to say, okay, this is how a buyer is going to look at the apartment. Most buyers, generally speaking. Our job is to eliminate problems in the the buyer's mind. When we're advising a seller, we need to say, okay, these are the problem areas with the apartment, and these are the things that we can address very cost-effectively, advise them on those specific things. What falls into that is uh, staging, which not a lot of brokers not a lot of agents will do they'll bring in a stager and of course we have stagers that we worked with we tried to have one on Facebook live claudia how dare you not come on but okay. it didn't work out timing wise scheduling wise um so we do have other professionals that we lean on to stage like a, a vacant apartment um because they it's a rental furniture company and it's a all in one sort of thing and she's fabulous but when we generally speaking when we go in and meet with a seller we act as the stager. We go through and we say, get rid of this, get rid of that. Let's put a light here. Let's move this over there. Let's set this up so that, uh, again, it is as appealing to the masses as it can be, um, as we see, because we work with, and, and one of the things I love about our business is, is our mix. So we work 50% with buyers, 50% with sellers, a roundabout. So we, we know what buyers are looking at. We know how they look at those things, and we know the problem areas that that help uh, that will help a, pro- a property sell. Um, and it's many times things that people don't think about. How about you? Why don't you give me a couple okay. of yours? Because I, I, I know there's a few others. There was uh, a
2: benefit of having you go first because I can I could take notes along the way. <laughs> so a lot of mine, they all. How can I say this? I'll say mine a little differently, but you've covered, you've covered most everything that I would say. But the first thing that I would say, you called it being an objective advisor. I perceive us as being trusted advisors to the client. Yes, objectivity is so important, but a seller, if this is an asset that they've held for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years in their family, there is an emotional tie to that home. Yeah. And i just am going through the sale of a home right now. And there was an emotional tie on my side. So I had to cognitively get to the point where sell the real estate. So trusted advisor. And I guess going back to that golden rule, giving the seller the same advice we would be giving ourselves if we wanted to sell the home. And that is the good and then the challenges of the property. Then I wrote down, number two, a marketing specialist. So they're not just hiring us to hear what we believe is the good and the bad of the apartment. They're, ha- they're hiring us to sell the home. And you and I have had a, a really successful body of work behind us. So we've had a really good track record at
0: selling the properties. And, and even properties that, that are unsellable. Are a little challenging to sell. <laughs> we sell the unsellable. No, everybody, there, there's always I'm gonna put that out there. I don't want to, I don't want the reputation no. as the brokers that sell Definitely the unsellable. Not. So
2: so whether the, the apartment is a glorious uh totally triple mint condition spectacular trophy property or you know a quirky problematic home that has some you know obstacles ahead of it what we're able to do is as you were saying zero in on uh the 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 perceived buyer uh, challenges and being able to assist the seller in saying hey mr seller we will look at your home as your marketing specialist, and we will observe X, Y, and Z, which is wrong, which is a trouble for a buyer. So we go to who's gonna buy the home, and when we walk into a home, the very first thing that you and I are doing, Jonathan and I have worked together for almost 14 years, and without a doubt, what is the first thing that we always ask a seller when we walk in the door?
0: And you give us a tour of your- And property. you
2: give us a tour of your lovely home. And when we're walking through the home, we're not just looking at, oh, they have so many good closets. We're looking at all of the blemishes of the home, period. We're looking at all the good things, and we're looking at the blemishes. We're looking at anything that will detract from value, and our minds are going like this. They're, they're going like, K-k-k-k-k-k-k. and we talked about the price, and then we're like, okay, we're adjusting it in our brains, and I can see his brain working and my brain working, and then we're We're going to counsel the seller. That is. And then maybe we agree. Maybe we don't. Oh, maybe (laughs) you always shoot high. So the marketing (laughs) specialist, and that's all part of what the seller is paying us to do, which is we're not just going to sit there and have a cup of tea and eat a sandwich with them and say, oh, wow, you have such a beautiful house. Oh, it's so great. Oh, it's wonderful. No, you want to hire us. We're going to try to sell this thing and this apartment. And this is what they're paying us to do. So we objectively then evaluate the home. So on the trusted advisor
0: part, I I will always tell tell our clients, the best way I can guide you is to put myself in your shoes. I obviously, we as your representative, as your agent, um, we know more than you in terms of just the conversations that we've had. So the situation that we're dealing with on... Uh, On any given property, whether it's a negotiation or whatever, we're obviously coming from a place of we're the ones that have had the conversations with the other agent, with the buyers, with whoever's involved in that situation. Um, So we have the benefit of taking that unobjective look or sorry, that objective look at the situation with, frankly, more information than our clients have. Correct. Put ourselves in their shoes and say, you know what? if I were in their position right now, um, this is what I would guide them to do. And it always has to be taken with a grain of salt or with the idea that, uh, the knowledge that we don't know all the data points on their side of the fence, from our seller or our buyer's side of the fence. Many times, especially with our sellers, because our buyers, we, we do know their financial position. We do know what their Liquidity looks like, their income looks like, et cetera. There's still elements that we don't know. How comfortable do they feel in their job? Um, how comfortable do they feel in their marriage, you know, like, which we'll talk about later. But like on the seller side, like we don't know what our seller's intent is to take many times to take that, uh, that money from the proceeds from the sale and what they're going to do with that money. So there's, and we don't know what their full financial picture looks like. And many times they don't tell us, nor do they need to tell us. We're, again, here as an objective observer, uh, an objective advisor to say, knowing what I know, this is what I would advise you to do. But you have to take that into account with uh, all the other things that we don't know, which is, okay, maybe they're taking that money to buy a home for their elderly mother. And there's a lot, you know, like it's a, it, there's a very... Um, tangible, emotional element to getting that money now versus just padding their bank account, which already has millions of dollars in it. You know, that's the element that we can't quantify. And that's, you know, and rightfully so in many cases. So we guide them as if based on the facts that we have, what we would do if we were there in their position. You know? Yeah,
2: that, that, that's absolutely correct. And then the last thing that i wrote down love it when you is, say that it was <laughs> a facilitator of the transaction so they're not just paying us to make their apartment you know photograph the apartment and video the apartment and make sure that it it's marketed and and looks gorgeous and looks its absolute best but they're paying us to facilitate the sale we are a no- negotiator And we are closer and when one sells a piece of Manhattan real estate, it's not like selling a home, which there is an inspection and title, uh, you know, search and, um, and then uh, securing of, of the loan. Yes. There's several times there's all of that, but there's in a cooperative. And even in a condominium purchase, there's a transfer package. There's what's called a board application. So there's a formal board process. And it's almost like, as we would say in brokerage term, buying in a country club. That is extremely challenging. And if, if a buyer is not qualified to buy based on certain qualifications, they are not going to be accepted by the cooperative. And that is what the seller is paying because 70% of our transactions are housing cooperatives in Manhattan. So it's extremely important that a broker... Representing a seller is equipped to be able to qualify buyers and to be able to facilitate transactions, whether communicating with the board uh, through the seller or uh, just really, really being able to communicate with other brokers and being able to ascertain whether or not this buyer is qualified. And that's part of being a facilitator of the transaction.
0: Yeah, being being well versed in those in the co ops requirements, which vary widely. You know, we have clients both sellers and buyers in a, a couple of different categories of cooperatives you have the 50% down co-ops or all cash co-ops in the fifth avenue park avenue corridor and around the park central park west central park south which presents a whole different element in terms of a level of financials people need to have um, but you have to know as an agent you have to know which questions to ask And so that you can give your seller, and this happens from the moment we get an offer, get a financial statement. We have our own offer form that we use that asks even a few more pertinent questions so that we can easily go to our seller and vouch for that buyer. We've seen their financial statement. They're qualified. They're gonna have, you know, based on our knowledge of that specific building. We lean many times on our colleagues who we've developed fantastic relationships with, you know, the, the majority of the brokers that do business in the city. We've had the benefit of uh, working with, did you just itch your, with a pen? My eye
2: with my pen.
0: Why? Do like, I, I put- got to stop, I got to stop touching my face. I get
2: so itchy. My <laughs> eyes get itchy. I don't know if it's allergy or what, but I'm, I'm. I'm so as long cognizant as I don't Devin, touch my face, I'm so cognizant I'm of it, and as you're talking about like, don't scratch your face, don't scratch your face. And I'm trying to not scratch myself and touch myself, and I'm doing this the whole time. I'm just like,
0: <sighs> you're fine. You're <sighs> fine. All right. So even if it's a building that we've never worked in before, we lean we lean on other agents that we've worked with uh, that have worked in the building, um, or one of our strategic partners that uh, has worked in that building before you know we have uh, thankfully and and strategically or just organically we've developed these relationships with all the biggest brokers in all the agents that do the business in the city we know i would venture to say 90 percent of them pretty well so we have uh, those relationships to call on to Help us in if it's a building by chance that we've not worked in before a co-op that's a all cash building or something we can very easily call on those relationships and say what have you seen here it doesn't mean that that's gospel because some of the best some of the best brokers I've worked with have been, only been in the business a very short time and some of the worst brokers that we've worked with have been in the business for the longest time so uh, so it starts with. Even taking the listing on initially, figuring out what they want, but then more specifically, knowing which questions to ask of a prospective buyer, whether that's through another broker or not, to get all of those data points to give us the best possible chance of a successful conclusion, getting to closing, i.e., getting a board approval in that deal for our seller, for our client.
2: It's so important to know the brokerage community, but we've also learned over the 14 years together through trial and error, because both you and I, it has happened very, very infrequently. And I can think of two instances, one from me, which happened before you started, and one with you that happened when we were working together, newly formed as a team, where I get the qualifications from a buyer that does not have a broker, and I say, okay, well based on what I'm seeing, they're qualified. And then when we, I did the financial statement, I saw something that wasn't there, but he, I said, well, you didn't tell me this. Oh no, I didn't tell you that, but I have this. And I'm like, oh, I, I own another apartment. What? That's one, hap- one, one thing that happened that I was like, help. And then the other wow. one was when the buyer failed to tell you that he was married.
0: Gee. She was married. She was yeah. married,
2: yeah. And yeah. so then, then that, that it was Fifth it.
0: Avenue Co-op, albeit it was far up on far north and on Fifth Avenue, but there were curveballs. Never brought the never brought the husband to see it. It was a million dollar deal or something like that. I don't even. Remember. I had
2: to make that buyer sell the apartment. Uh, oh yeah, you had to put it on the market. In my, my, in my case, in my case, yes. My manager made me. He said, "You said she said you tell him he's got to put that on the market." Right now, and he did, he put it on the market.
0: So anyway, but you give life lessons. Listen, we've had had a handful of board rejections, which is always going to happen. With any broker that does any amount of volume, there's instances that you just cannot foresee. So I love it when a broker comes to me and they're like, I've I've never had a board rejection rejection in my entire life, in my entire career. Okay, they've sold 10 apartments. You know, like, (laughs) okay, but we've sold hundreds and hundreds of apartments. And we've had, okay, we've had less than, you know, probably less than 10 rejections. When they happened, every one of them, it's because we found out something new. Something that was either maybe even purposely held from us um, by the other broker, by the buyer. Yeah. Um, you know, but it was always somewhat expected once we found that piece of information out which has only honed our skills in terms of figuring out what questions ask. I mean, before that board rejection where this lady didn't tell me she had a husband whose credit was completely shot is so on and so forth. Would I ever have thought that I need to find out whether a buyer um, is going to have is is legally married? You know, I I would think that they would involve that person in such a large person purchase. Yeah. It's not like this person had $10 million in the bank, and it was just a frivolous purchase and whatever of a $200,000 apartment. No, this was a substantial purchase for the profile of this buyer. I never would have thought that. And we need we, of course, we always have to work within the guidelines of fair housing, but we ask specific questions because these boards look at a married couple as a single unit. Even if this married couple doesn't want one of them to be on the stock and lease for estate planning purposes it doesn't matter they're going to run a run a credit check on that person they're going to want to see financials for that person because legally you are viewed as one you file taxes together in almost every case what else what else is encompassed in a mar- in being the marketing specialist what else well, is- marketing specialist yes the specialist on the market that we're specifically in so Generally, when we go meet with a seller, what we'll do is we'll bring a a package for them to review. And one of the biggest pieces of that package is uh, the comparables. So the comparable apartments in and out and around the building that uh, fit into uh, a competing property if it were on the market at the same time. So we bring competing properties that are on the market as well as things that have traded recently. Which presents a little bit of an issue right now in Covid, because there's not a uh, there's not a um, there's not a lot of data points to draw from over the past three or four months. So, but looking at those, digesting them, putting them all to, you know all the different factors, many times we have to extrapolate uh, from the comps because there is not a straight line comp. There's not another a line directly. Below or above that apartment that's traded recently, so in that scenario, we have to extrapolate, OK, well this apartment was similar in size, but it had a view, or it was better renovated, or what have you. And then, based on the market that we're currently in, how well the market is moving, et etc, take that into account and give them, in our professional opinion, what's the best number to come out to the market have a pricing in mind. Usually it's a range. um, But generally speaking, you and I are are most of the time in line or very close to what we think is the right price. We always joke around with the clients and be like, one of us goes first. And then the other one will either agree or slightly disagree. But a lot of uh, one of the caveats is always how much direction they're willing to take. You know, are they willing to paint their dark forest green living room, an off-white, you know? Are they willing to clean out the, uh, you know, the overstuffed apartment with all the, you know, get rid of some of the tchotchkes, get rid of some of the stuff that's in there, some of the furniture that's in there, pare down, get rid of wall-to-wall carpeting, and show the wood floors that are underneath. All of those things have to go into it. So we look at best case scenario, if you were to take all of our direction, This is what we think. If you want to list it as is, maybe we're not the brokers for you. I'm just kidding. We're always the broker for you.
2: I think within the context of trusted advisor, one wears many different hats Mm -hmm. with that title. I think we both feel as though we fit into the role of therapist. We can fit into the role of marriage counselor. We can fit into the role of money manager financial advisor, we fit into the role of friend. We wear many different hats when it comes to both sellers and buyers. I think most often, particularly in this market, we fit into the role of therapist because everybody, everybody is nervous. Nobody is going through life in in a normal state. We're all wearing masks. We're all like itching our faces like I'm doing. We're all, we're all wearing masks. We're all using hand sanitizer.
0: We're all- Well, especially now. But even in the normal times, you know, even in quote unquote normal times, we're talking about in most cases, I think you mentioned this earlier, largest asset largest asset any they've ever purchased you know yeah. many times or or will purchase um and a lot of rarely fairly do we have a client that is flippant with money even if they have a hundred million dollars balance on their balance sheet yep. and they're only spending one percent of that or half a percent of that how do you think that person got to having a hundred million dollars on their balance sheet yeah it's watching where their money goes so in, in many instances, the wealthier somebody is, the more they needle on things and the more they think about things and the more they need a trusted advisor. So there's nothing more beautiful than for myself when you're, you get into a position, into a, your relationship to a position where that type of a client who has a lot of money is very, uh, is very affluent and very, you know, very successful, gets to the point where they just trust you. And there's no, they say, we were with a client the other day that said it, you know, listen, I do whatever you tell me to do. I trust you implicitly. Just tell me what price to put it on at. And I will do that. I will follow your guidance. That is a beautiful place to get to. It's a very challenging place to get to. And listen, even if you get there, it doesn't mean you're always going to remain there. So we always remain diligent. We always remain, we don't have that trust and we're always earning the trust and i think that's important and i think both you and i always feel like that and it keeps us always a step ahead um so but people always in this market in our specific market are spending a lot of money i don't care if it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars for a studio apartment that is a lot of money we have to keep that in perspective it's of course, always relative to somebody's balance sheet, but that always means something to them. I mean, and it's very evident throughout the process. I mean, how many times are we sitting at a closing table for a $5 million purchase and the buyer and the seller are bickering over $500? Yeah. You know, so, so that therapy, that, that, that um, uh, being able to guide somebody. Uh, through that anxiety, which always exists, and obviously even more so now given the uncertainty in our market, um, is, is paramount. And being able to help people see uh, what is most important to them based on what we've talked about as their advisor and keep them focused on that and not focused on something that is just getting in the way emotionally, um, et cetera.
1: John and Jonathan touched a bit on their roles in terms of buyers in the previous segment, but up next they dive even deeper, because whether this is the first time their buyers are purchasing a property, or the purchase is part of a much larger portfolio, there are expectations to set and work to be done. John and Jonathan have a track record of excellence because of the time and effort they put into each and every transaction.
2: What do you find is the role of the broker working with a buyer?
0: One of the things that we many times get is uh, the role of a an architect, designer, contractor. You know, one of the big questions is, okay, if we're going to do work, how much does a kitchen typically cost? Which is, I mean, what a loaded question. It's hard to, you know, you you can take the same square footage of a kitchen and spend twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars in there, or you could spend $300,000. I mean, the, the range is just ridiculous when it comes to tile work and cabinets and whether you do custom or whether you do prebuilt or whatever, you know, it's just the range is ridiculous. So, um, but certainly we can help narrow in based on what our clients tastes are and, and expectation of finishes, etc. cetera. So we can help there, but we always, you and I I think are, uh, we always steer them to, let's get a contractor in. But at the onset, when we're walking through apartments, there's many things that people let cloud their judgment. Little things, for instance, I would say floors. Forget about the floors. The floors, the envelope of the apartment is the number one thing that you can change and change pretty easily and for a cost effectively to change the overall feeling of the apartment. You know, if an apartment has old uh, rickety floors, we can quantify that cost pretty easily, and it makes the world of difference. So guiding our buyers walking through an apartment that say many times we have buyers, I don't want to do any work. My first response was, will be, take these things out of that category because you can do floors, wall to wall, replace baseboards and do a paint job in about two weeks. And it's a very simple thing to be done. And it's the, one of the biggest things you can do to just totally transform a space. Yeah. So, you know, that is certainly a big role when we're walking through space with, spaces with buyers.
2: I think that there are obviously, uh, you know, roles that are applicable to both. So again, if we're advising the buyer, we we're in a level of trust, you know, a fiduciary uh, with, with the buyer. So trusted advisor. So a trusted advisor with the buyer. And then as you were talking educator, so educator of the marketplace. Uh, So making sure that they know the inventory know and, and working with and listener We've got to be a very, very important listener with the buyer. So many times, I can't tell you, and I know you've had this happen before, especially since a buyer with a buyer who worked with another broker before and said, it's amazing at how well you listen to what I'm telling you. I was telling the buyer, I was telling the broker, well, I'm not spending, I'm just using this number. I'm not spending any more than $600,000. And they were showing me million five apartments. And I kept saying to them, why are you doing that? I'm not, these are so beautiful, but I'm not going to buy them. That happened to me where I was referred and it was happened in the past couple of years. So educator, I said, a negotiator again. And then like you were saying, a voice of resource, you see, that stemmed into uh, the, the, the floors, being able to refer them to the, the people, a one-stop shop. You understand that we're not just, oh, hey, you're going to buy this one? You know, No. It's a process, so being able to counsel them—a counselor, a therapist, a friend—those were those were um, names
0: that I wrote down. So one of the biggest things I see is uh, setting expectations. Whether it's a seller's expectations when we walk through the door and talk about the apartment and what we think it's going to, you know, sell for, et cetera. Timing is a huge thing for buyers. How many times have we had buyers, especially first-time buyers, that don't have any Um, any exposure into our market, setting their expectations financially, getting them, like you mentioned, to a resource that can help them, first and foremost, go to a banker. You need to finance, go to a banker. Go through your numbers with them. Go with somebody that we work with a lot, uh, like Eric Applebaum, who we had on our one Facebook Live at Wells Fargo. Go to him and get your numbers straight You know, so that you know what you can afford from the bank's perspective. And then setting the expectation that just because a bank says you can afford it doesn't mean a co-op's going to allow you're going to fit into right. the same category when it comes to the co-op world. Yes. So expectations around timing on the buyer side as well, because they think, oh, well, my dad just bought a uh, bought a house and it took them 15 days and they closed. You know, it's like no. On average, we're looking at 90 days to close with financing involved. Um, they have to be interviewed. The education side of it. So, but all of those fit under that uh, that trusted advisor role, um, which leads to setting expectations. Because if you don't, if you're not good at setting people's expectations uh, in this business, you're just looking for one problem after another.
2: Ultimately, we can lead the horse to water. If they're going to drink,
0: it's up to them to drink. It's not up to us. And then, you know, on both sides for the. Sales What's always interesting to me is that these buyers and you, you know, they always start with one set. Um, we we talk about a, you know, when we're working with a buyer, we'll uh, we'll set their uh, in their must haves and their nice to haves, you know, categories, and those things change over time. And being even setting their expectations that those things will change sure. is important, you know, and it's okay that they change. You're not wasting my time to go out and see properties and then it changes and you decide, you know what, you don't want to spend so much money or I need to spend more money to get what I want or I don't really care if the apartment has a washer dryer or I have to have a washer dryer. You know, like that's really immaterial to me. To me, I just want to get you what you want. If that changes over time, so be it. Let's, let's. but the only way we hone in on that is by going into properties and seeing places. You know, so setting expectations from start to finish is undoubtedly one of the best ways you can do to avoid pitfalls, Um, and those pitfalls are the bane of our existence. They are. (laughs) I mean, listen, in John and my, the beginning of our career together, our team, we sold an apartment. It was a fifth floor walk-up studio apartment on the Upper East Side. A friend of mine. A friend of John's. We went up there. And these people had left the city; they had moved away. This was, and we were closing the next day, right? Or we were closing a. Few- oh yeah, we were. I think the walkthrough was the next day. The walkthrough was the next, and we just day. we just found out that the furniture was still in there. Some and furniture.
2: we just Started working together, <laughs> and so we walked in, and we were, and it was getting dark, and we're like, there was a mattress in there, there was a bed, there was all sorts of stuff in there, and they said, oh, just throw it out. Throw it out. And we were, so Jonathan and I took our jackets off and our neckties. We rolled up our sleeves and he and I got the mattress down five flights. We put it out on the street. We put it, Jonathan, remember we we loaded, we got everything out and then we both kind of ran away from the building.
0: (laughs) And we, we got that thing. Out. I don't know what you're talking about. We abided by New York City. Uh, that, that was I mean, well. Like, that was so many years ago. Oh, that was, I was think the Statue of limitations has run out on that. I think we're okay. That was horrible. But, we didn't uh, even know we were like. Let's. It go. It was so hot and humid. It was out. so we were hot. Christian in sweat. I'm humid. like, well, this is a. It was amazing. Great that way to really kick amazing. off our relationship here, John.
2: This 55 year old back, it ain't gonna cut it anymore. I'm not loading mattresses down. I just say, hat,
0: TJ. So, listen, we covered a lot. I think it was a
2: great, great, great. I think you did a great job.
0: We covered a lot of roles. Yes, we do.
2: We wear a lot of different hats.
0: We wear a lot of different hats. It's what, you know, it goes back to the same thing that we've talked about many times, which is it keeps our job interesting.
2: Absolutely. I was going to say the exact same thing. We, it's, it's, that's what makes it, Very different each and every day.
0: Some of those parts, I'm totally fine with cutting out. Some of those job, those roles, like moving a a mattress out of a fifth floor walk up, like I'm not going to do that anymore. My 42 year old back doesn't want to do that anymore. Right.
2: Yeah.
0: So, uh, but it's it does keep it interesting. Just connecting people to figure out how to how to accomplish those things. And uh, listen, it's always uh, it's always. A new obstacle always presents itself, and uh, and that's part of the problem solving side that we both love, uh, for better or worse. And but. when
2: the client, you know, when the client, such as what you were talking about, the big, the big successful businessman pays you a compliment and really leans on you, and and I for our market expertise, expertise that multi multi millionaire guy. If he thought he could do it on his own, he'd do it. Whether selling the apartment or buying the apartment, he needs our market savvy, our uh, our expertise, and that makes you and I feel very good. And then even if we're working with a first time buyer who is very, very, very nervous, like I'm dealing with right now, and you know he's constantly saying how much he loves me. He's cannot, you know, he would never be able to do this without me. You know, whether or not he's ever going to do it or, or not is yet to be seen. But it's, it's nice to be loved. I love you. It's nice. you it is nice me? to be loved. And don't you have anything that you'd like to say to me? Yes, I
0: love you too, John.
2: Listen, thanks so much for tuning in to the John and Jonathan Cell NYC podcast, episode four. It's been our pleasure. And uh, tune in next week. We're here every week during the third quarter. Well, thanks so much for joining us, and we've had a great time. Hope you've gotten some good market insight and and some, um, I think, insight into what we do, right?
0: Yeah, good talking to you. And maybe
2: since we wear many different hats, maybe we'll start
0: wearing different hats. I'm going to put was... on a different one right now. All right, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Good to see you. Let us know if you have any questions, you want to talk further. We're around. We're here. We're going. See you next week. Stay safe and healthy. And, and most of all, remaining gratitude.
1: Thanks for watching or listening to the John and Jonathan Sell NYC podcast, where experienced expert New York City real estate brokers, John Gustaska and Jonathan Conlin break down what's happening in the market, what you need to know, whether you're a buyer, seller or agent, and their insight into the future with a little bit of fun along the way. If you'd like to take a look at our listings, have a property you're thinking of selling or are wondering if we could help you finally find the perfect place to call home, feel free to reach out. You can email us at info at johnandjonathancellnyc.com or reach out via our Facebook page or Instagram at johnandjonathancellnyc. If you enjoyed today's podcast, consider telling a friend or family member about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Those are some of the best ways of supporting our efforts and we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you again for tuning in. We can't wait to share what's coming up next. Subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss our next episode, and we'll see you next time.